Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. On Pentecost Sunday, we started a series of messages on the Holy Spirit. We talked about Pentecost and what happened on that day. The next week, we took a closer look at tongues, since that was uh, the initial manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I keep reminding you, we will come back to take another look at tongues when we get over, and probably the next week, maybe even today a little bit, but I doubt it, into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the gifts of the Spirit are listed and discussed. And then certainly in chapter 14, where he really digs into tongues. But we'll come back around to that. Two weeks ago, we focused on the doctrine of the Trinity and the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you missed any of these, I really encourage you to get them. I think you will find all of them helpful. And last week, we talked about uh, power to be witnesses. And in that message, we learned and remembered that uh, the Holy Spirit... The power to be witnesses is much more than simply the power or the ability to do witnessing. Okay? Uh, It is the power to be what the Holy Spirit is making us to be. It's Christ being formed in us. And that, and that means it change, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and this begins with salvation, but as we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it changes our behavior, our language, our priorities, our character, and more. It really does make a difference. He makes a difference. The baptism of the Holy Spirit makes a difference. And last week, when we were talking about this, we especially looked at the importance of cultivating an awareness of his presence And how that simple truth that God lives in me, therefore he sees everything, he hears everything, he knows everything about me, that's going to have an enormous impact on how we live our lives. I'm going to follow up on that line of thinking for a bit and then say a few things about being led by the Spirit because this is one of the, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, especially in churches like ours, we tend to focus on the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, And certainly they did in Corinth too. Once spiritual gifts became known and experienced, this was the focus of their services for a while, and that's why Paul was writing them that letter to correct some things that were out of balance. But we also need to talk about simply being led by the Spirit, the guidance that Jesus himself promised the Holy Spirit would provide, right? And we certainly need to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, uh, just to kind of open a can of worms, when we talk about being led, hearing from God, uh, and you don't need to define this for me, I don't need to know your specific experience, but how many of you can say in one way or another, you know you have heard God, you have been led by God. God, you could say confidently, God told me something. I'm not saying you necessarily heard an audible voice, but you knew you, you were making a decision based on the fact that God was leading you to make it, the Holy Spirit, and that was most of you. That was the vast majority of you. Uh, Many of you and many people we've heard have have told testimony after testimony how God warned them, uh, don't go here, go here instead, turn right, don't turn left, 
don't go here to, you heard all sorts of testimonies, 9-11. I just, for some reason, I knew I wasn't supposed to go to work that day, and if I had, I would have been killed. And then you can, you can, uh, you know, those are big issues. When, when it happens on a smaller scale, you can, you can maybe point to some good things God did to protect you, to save something, but why didn't God just cause that thing not to happen in the first place? And then we get into the whole sovereignty issue. How much is God willing to mess with somebody else's will? But meanwhile, I can claim his protection. I can claim to hear God for me. I don't have to explain everything that happens in the world. I'm, I'm thinking of a, good, a dear friend of mine, Mike Goolsbey. Many of you know him. And the church that he was uh, um, a youth director at for many, many years suffered a terrible, terrible tragedy, all due to the horrifying, sinful decisions of one staff member. Many families were hurt, many children were hurt, and the church ultimately, it took many, many years, but the church ultimately ceased to exist. And while this was all being revealed, I remember having a conversation with Mike. I said, Mike, I gotta ask something. He goes, I know what you're gonna ask. Where was the spirit of prophecy? Why wasn't this revealed to us earlier so it could have been dealt with? He says, and all I can tell you was, it was. I know that it was. And somebody simply didn't obey God and say what they needed to say. Well, I believe that. I can't prove it. I can't point to the one person who heard from God. I can't tell you who missed it, but somebody probably did. I believe God does reveal these things to us. Uh, this wasn't nearly as tragic an event, but we had something happen here back in 98. Uh, how, how many of you were here or remember this? Somebody climbed up this roof and busted into the cupola. I mean, remember this, this horrible tragedy that befell Living Word? This was vandalism. It was, just, it was just vandalism. But why didn't God tell us? Why didn't God wake us up? Uh, why didn't God wreck their car before they got here? But they climbed up there, broke in the windows, and there were five-gallon buckets of drywall mud, maybe paint and stuff like that, that they just dumped, smashed several chairs, did ultimately, I think, about twenty dollars to $30,000 worth of damage to the sanctuary. Uh, and then, apparently, what it looked like anyway, so they climbed down and then busted into the, the, through the big window out in the lobby and climbed back into the church. And that, it looked like that's when the alarm went off. And so they didn't, whatever else they were going to do, we didn't have heat sensors, and we didn't have, you know, we figured for somebody to get in here, they had to come in through somewhere else, so the alarm didn't go off until they came in out there, but the main damage was in here. But we were able to thank God because they wrenched uh, several of those uh, bars out and heaved them. The whole sound system was up in the, in the, where the booth is up there now, and they threw these things into the sound system without damaging a single thing. And there, was some, there were tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment just in that area, and they didn't damage any of it. We had just gotten the grand piano, right, Cheryl? And that was undamaged. Uh, so, yeah, it was a mess. And most of that expense was just the expense of cleanup, replacing chairs and carpet and things like that. But you think, all right, God blessed us because we were able to have church. There was, it was a cleanup. It was a mess. But nobody was hurt. Uh, no damage was done. Or, I mean, no, no, no damage was done to something that, other than, again, chairs, messes, no technical stuff. He protected us, but why were, you know, they told us, if I'm remembering right, it seems like the cops said, uh, we kind of know who did this, we'll, we'll have this figured out, and I just couldn't wait to get my hands on them, you know, there's that justice, Lord, I know you don't want this person getting away with this. Never happened. Just became this mystery. 
well, why wasn't this person ever caught? I don't know. But God still loved. I never doubted. I never doubted. Well, this was, I never thought, well, God used this person to, to uh, correct our church or judge our church. God's against it. It was never anything like that. It was somebody did something, I assume, uh, just because they hated us. But it bothers me that we never found out who did it. Where if the Holy Spirit is God, why couldn't he have wrapped this up neatly, put a bow on it, and given it to us? We'll address things like this. Maybe not perfectly. But let's talk first. Let's back up a little bit. And uh, let me kind of continue with where we left off last week. Because, again, it was about cultivating an awareness of the constant presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and how that will change us. So I showed you with you my... My, uh, my own act of vandalism when I nearly burned the garage down with the charcoal starter and the fireworks. And again, maybe the single most important point I made was not, uh, was nothing more than if my dad had been with me, I wouldn't have done it or even thought of doing it. And I, want, I can't stress that enough because uh, one part of my testimony I don't share very often. I'd rather focus on the early days when I first came to Christ. Uh, but there were what I now refer to as uh, vagabond years uh, for probably about the five years, four or five years before I went to Ramah, where I never renounced Christ, never stopped coming to church, um, never felt like anything more, uh, anything less than a Christian in terms of what I believed. But I really was straddling the fence in terms of having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And anybody who knew me back then can probably testify to that. Um, and I wasn't breaking into churches and dumping paint on the chairs or anything like that, you understand. It was just, it kind of depended, depended on who I was with. If I was out with my uh, guard buddies on a drill weekend, or especially if we were out of town at a camp, uh, I, would, uh, I would join them, go to, go to the O Club, have some drinks, smoke some cigarettes, do some things that I didn't consider consistent with a Christian lifestyle. But it's what I wanted to do because I was with those guys. And it wasn't peer pressure. Nobody would have looked down their nose at me if I hadn't done it. But I kind of wanted to do it when I was with them. On the other hand, I could turn right around and leave on a mission trip, be surrounded by Christians, totally surrendered to the will of God for a week, and not miss any of the stuff that I did when I was with my sinful friends. Do you understand what I'm saying? It wasn't like, oh, I can't wait till we're done with this mission trip so I can get back and start sinning. It was never. I was completely fulfilled happy, joyful, doing the work of the Lord hand in hand with other believers. So it wasn't like, oh, I, I'm surrounded by these believers. I can't do what I really want. This was what was in my heart to do. But what does bad company do? Crafts good morals. Uh, you become like who you hang around. You've got to be, and that doesn't, we do. We can't not be around sinners. We're called to be in this world. But it's what's so important about regularly gathering together with our company, our companions, our church. It's what's important about the assembly. Uh, because we've got a mission in this world and we need to look different. And little by little, I was looking less and less different when I was around my godless friends. All right? Now, all that to say, when we talk about, well, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. It really is. It's a relationship. And the more we are just around him, the more we understand this isn't a matter of legalism. 
I want to do this, but I can't because God hates that and he'll punish me and we won't be as good of friends anymore. It's I just enjoy being godly when I'm around God and when I'm around godly people. And you will too. It's this whole divided life that probably most of us have struggled with at one time or another where we don't hate church, we don't hate God, but we don't hate sin either. And uh, this is what will clog up our spiritual ears in terms of hearing from God and being led by God. Because the more we ignore him in the small things, the less we'll hear him in the big things. If you're praying for specific guidance, should I go to Bible school? Should I go to Africa? Uh, and then you, you hear something from, from that you think, well, maybe that's God. How do you know if it's God? How do, you, how do you expect to hear anything from God if you're not even praying that prayer? God, speak to me about this. As I mentioned, we want the Spirit to be powerfully present when it comes to the gifts, to miracles, to healings, to fi uh, financial blessings, all these things God has promised. But we can't say, we can't have it, well, I only want you to be manifested in these ways that are going to bless me and make my life good and easy and happy, but I don't want you to be powerfully present in my life when I want to make a bad decision because it sounds like fun. You remember the, the driving episode or, or uh, uh, illustration that Neil Childs uh, gave? It's like, you know, it's like we want to drive the car and let Jesus out so we can drive over here, then we'll come back and get him uh, when we're ready. We really can't do it that way. Um, as I said, it's indep uh, Independence Day weekend. We celebrate our independence as a nation, our freedom. And, of course, there's a great parallel truth in the Bible that Christ has freed us, given us genuine freedom. But freedom from what? Freedom from sin. He has not, and, and Paul nails this down in many places, but he did not grant us liberty so that we are free to pursue our sinful lusts. We are not free to just go out and do whatever gratifies the flesh. And the same thing, by the way, is really supposed to be true of our freedom as Americans. Most of you know this quote, but John Adams wrote, and I think he was writing to the head of uh, one militia or another, I'm not sure, but he wrote this, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. This was prescient because it really, it, you think he and many others could see from the wording of the constitution that without these built-in guardrails of morality and belief, you know, religion, that the rights that are guaranteed by the Constitution could easily create chaos in society. And where are we today? People find constitutional rights to the most bizarre things because they have the right as Americans, but they don't have the morality and the religion for these rights to make sense. So things are going crazy, naturally. And I digress because my point, again, is that the Holy Spirit, and only the Holy Spirit, can do what the law cannot, could not, and cannot. And that is to change our very nature. That's absolutely vital when it comes to being led by him because it includes a willingness to do what you hear him say. There's a word that we probably don't use often enough. 
uh, when, it when we talk about being born again, saved, believing, uh, the word we probably ought to use more and more is surrender. To surrender to Jesus Christ. Surrender to God the Father. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Because when we are confessing him as Lord, that's what we are doing. We are saying, you are calling the shots now. Now, we know, I think we have a pretty good handle on the truth that it, our lives are going to be much better when he calls the shots. But we probably struggle in the West, or here in America particularly, more than they do in other places because we are so accustomed to calling all the shots. Individual liberty is enshrined as an absolute idol in this country. And as Christians, that's not the liberty that we have. We are free to serve the king, the one true king. And if we are not surrendered to the point where we say, God, when I hear your voice, I'm going to do what you say, then there's really no good reason to expect him to hear him say anything. And I'll just, I don't want to beat it to death, but again, the whole point is, you know, the law was good. I'm talking the Old Testament law now, not constitutional law. The law was good. And David was even able to write, I, I delight in your law. Oh, how I love your law. It's sweeter than honey. But the law couldn't change the nature of the people that God gave the law to. And God knew it wouldn't, knew it couldn't. All of that was to point to Christ, to point out the fact that we need a Savior because we can't be saved by the law because we are, by nature, incapable of keeping it. But when the Holy Spirit indwells us, it's not just a matter of, now here's that difficult, mean old law, but I have the power to keep it. It's we love God's principles and our desires, if we will surrender to him, can be transformed in such a way that we delight in doing what is pleasing in his sight. And that's where the path of blessing is. So there are ways that God speaks to us, and we see them uh, different, uh, different manifestations of, this, of these, uh, these types of guidance, especially in the book of Acts. But we read, it's, it's throughout the whole word of God. But as New Testament believers, a great place to read is in Acts. And in, for instance, in, uh, I'm not going to read this one, but do you remember the vision, uh, the night vision? Uh, I don't know why they didn't call it a dream, but Paul had a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia saying, what? Come over to Macedonia and help us. And that's how they knew they were supposed to go to Macedonia. Well, that would be a pretty good way if you just got used to it. That'd be a pretty good way of knowing what you're doing the next day, huh? What are you doing today? Well, I had a vision last night, uh, a guy telling me to do this, so that's what I'm going to do. Now, but that could be a, how do you know if a dream or a vision like that is from God? It wasn't God that appeared to him, it was a man. Could you not have a dream about that? We're going to talk about how you know what you're feeling or what you're experiencing is trustworthy. This is a simple message. It's not going to go super deep, but I think, and some of it you've heard before, uh, but don't check out. It'll be very, very helpful. There's another uh, um, and by the way, speaking of uh, Independence Day or American history, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, one of the early companies that uh, set up shop here in the United States, the seal of the Massachusetts Bay Colony was a picture of a Native American saying, come over and help us. 
and that was lifted directly from the, Macedon the vision of the Macedonian, but this was the idea. Come over to America and establish Christianity with us. Uh, it was a little bit commercialized, to be honest, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, we read this. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice. They were led by the Spirit here, right? The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work I've called them to. But in what, what was the atmosphere? Were they just walking down the street? Were they having lunch? No, they were fasting and praying. They were on purpose seeking the will of God. And it was in that environment that, guess what? They heard or they received, uh, they were led into the will of God. They fasted, they prayed and laid hands on them and sent them as the Spirit had directed them. Now, when it said the Holy Spirit said this, was it an audible voice? Were they all fasting and praying and then the voice of God was heard to them? Could have been. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy I met recently who did hear an audible voice. And I've heard this from many people too. But in this case, I don't know if we can say for sure. All I can say is they were in agreement. They were in one accord. They were fasting. They're praying. And God made his will known. If you read a couple chapters later in Acts 16, they went out, Paul and Barnabas, and they came back. They have a discussion about some of the things that are happening out there in the, missionary, in the mission world. Uh, especially an argument about how they would go in and minister the gospel. You know this. They would go and share the gospel with Gentile churches, and then these Judaizers would come in behind them and say, hey, we're glad you've received this, the same Messiah that we have, but if you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. And they were really struggling with this. It's like we don't want to totally uh, throw away everything about our culture and about our uh, legacy here, but what truly is necessary uh, because we can't impose circumcision on a Gentile world, and yet we can't just say anything goes as long as you got Jesus. So they have this long discussion about it, and they decide to send this letter uh, to certain churches that says this. I'll, I'll just, just read it here. In, uh, I'll, I'll start a little bit earlier in Acts 16, 24. Since we have heard that this is actually this is part of the letter. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, uh, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Then he spells a couple things out. Then skip down to Acts chapter 16, verse 32. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Now on one hand, we have the Holy Spirit saying Separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul. In this case, they're sending them out, uh, and they're sending these other two out. Why? Because it seemed good to us. Now, I heard this first, by the way, the seemed good. This was uh, something that uh, John Grunewald shared many years ago here in a great message where he talked about how he started uh, 
how he knew he was supposed to start Rama Germany. You know, going from being a pastor in Terre Haute, Indiana, to suddenly starting a Rama uh, school in Germany. And he said, uh, you know, you must have had a vision. You must have uh, met with, uh, it must have been prophesied. He says, no, the answer is it just seemed good. It seemed like a good idea. Luke writes at the, at the beginning of his gospel. Uh, some other people have written down about the life of Jesus, and it seemed good to me to do the same thing. Didn't say he had a vision, and yet we know this was inspired scripture. He clearly was led to write the gospel that he wrote. But all he says about it was it seemed good. And there can be a very supernatural seems to. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I'm saying. And they say it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. They're not making it. Here's one takeaway, one real practical takeaway. When you're led by the Spirit and you say, God told me to do this, that's legitimate, but you probably, for the sake of whoever you're saying this to, you can afford to be a little more specific. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He used to be part of PTL, but he always wrote. He says, I, I'm always careful about saying God told me this. I would prefer, he says, unless I actually hear the voice of God, uh, what I usually say is, I was made to know. I was made to understand. And I like that. That's another way. It seemed good to me. Uh, let's don't try to, uh, because man, if you, if you say, and God told me this, and I said this to God, then God said this to me, like you're having this, and I've heard it a million times, and I've had these sort of conversations that happen in, in times of prayer, but I've never heard the audible voice of God. It's never a conversation like, like, like you and I can have. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying if it didn't happen, don't make it sound like it did. I guess that's it. Is that fair enough? In you know, one case, God said this. In the other case, it seemed good. We're sending these guys because it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. How do you know what seems good to the Holy Spirit? Almost there. They heard these things and received the seems to. What was it? David. Where's David? As you said right before service, get your, get your seamer working. <laughs> I think he made that up and attributed it to my dad. But if our seamer, our spiritual seamer is working, then what seems right is right. But how do you know? Because here's something. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Oh. So sometimes when it seems right, the word of God is spread all over the world and God is glorified. Sometimes when it seems right, you get yourself killed. How do you know what seems right is right? Here's how. Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, how does he direct our paths? This is when it comes back to. There are many ways. Can God direct your path through a word of prophecy? Absolutely can. Can he direct your path through an audible voice? Yes, he can. Can he direct your path uh, through a multitude of counsel? Yes. Can he direct your path with a seems right? Yes. How do we know if the seems right is right? Am I acknowledging him in all my ways? Am I surrendered to him? Before you make a big decision, ask yourself, have I been spending time in the word? 
if you're not spending time in his written word, I mean, and you know if you are or not, if that's not part of your life, why are you seeking God for a specific word about your situation? Because in nine cases out of ten, and that's probably being, it's probably on the low side, most of the decisions we have to make, we can make based on our knowledge of what's already written in the Word. And a word of prophecy uh, or any other sort of uh, way of revealing this uh, God's will in your life is simply going to be a confirmation or an application of something He's already written to you. Um, so ask yourself, am I spending time in the Word? Am I spending time in prayer? Is there a devotional aspect to my relationship with Christ? What do I mean by that? I mean, like these guys, they, didn't, they weren't just going around doing stuff and then God spoke to them, hey, give me uh, Paul and Barnabas. They were specifically seeking God's guidance, fasting, praying. So am I spending time in the Word? Am I spending time devotionally praying, listening to God? Is there, am I harboring uh, some sin in my life that I have not dealt with scripturally? Is there something I need to confess to God? Is there something I need to confess to somebody else? Uh, is there unaddressed sin in my life? Now, if I'm spending time in the Word, if, I'm, if my devotional life is healthy, if I'm praying and seeking His will, if I'm dealing with sin, repenting of it, then the seems right is almost certainly right. Because I have submitted my will to him. Uh, I've told this story uh, many times of uh, Brother Matt Gober's testimony, my first uh, boss in occupational ministry. An absolute hellion. Uh, uh, Navy guy over in Vietnam, he's a frog man, and then came back and started running drugs coast to coast as part of a one percenter motorcycle gang. And when he got saved, According to his testimony, and I believe him, he walked into his apartment one night and had a vision, an open vision of Jesus hanging on the cross, and there were flames all around him, and he's saying, Mac, I died for you. Oh, who's not going to get saved if you see that? Doesn't take a lot of convincing at that point. I had a guy come in, I just met a guy, just met a guy personally the other day. He called me, wanted to talk to me, said he knew me, I didn't recognize him, but he came into the office and spent some time in my office and told me that he had, uh, there were some things he wanted to get off his chest, some things he had done as a young man. Uh, but, but he admitted that when he did these things, he wasn't a Christian, and he was now. He said, I said, how long have you been a believer? He said, just a couple years, not even two years. But here's how he got saved. <laughs> he, he had very little church background. If I remember right, he had one believing parent, one unbelieving parent. Church was never mandatory, and he hardly ever went. Uh, and he was working some job. Uh, down in Indiana a couple of years ago, and it got, he got really dirty, and he had to go somewhere. So uh, the thing that his uh, pants had gotten all really, just really, a lot of uh, oil. He worked with like a, an oil refinery. So he was, he was just getting ready to throw these away. He needed a clean pair of pants. He went to Walmart, bought some cheap pants, went to McDonald's uh, to clean up as well as he could in the bathroom, and then he went into the stall to change pants. He says, you can laugh if you want. I'm telling you the truth. When I got into the stall at McDonald's, I heard the audible voice of God saying, when are you going to surrender to me? <laughs> How does this happen? But he did. He says, when you hear a voice like that, you've got a choice. 
So I surrendered to God. Now this guy, I, I, this was amazing. Young man, I mean, uh, not a young, young man, not a kid. But he's only, he's been saved less than two years. You would not believe the depth of this guy's Bible knowledge. The maturity of his prayers. It's really a challenging thing to our young people. It's like we don't expect enough out of them, I don't think. This guy just, he said, if I'm going to be surrendered to God, I'm going to know his will, I'm going to know his word, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, and he's doing these things almost like second nature. He's read the Bible, he reads the Bible and does it. Oh, by the way, the thing he wanted to talk to me about, he's the guy. He, he called to say he did something bad in high school. And when he came here, he was in fear and trembling. He said, I just wanted to tell you, I got to get this off my chest. I was in high school. I wasn't a believer. I was drunk and I was high. And a friend of mine and I busted into your church, did a bunch of damage and ran away. He had a written confession with his social security number. saying, I'm here to, to, to surrender to the authorities. I will make whatever restitution you want me to make. But I mean, it's a very specific confession. This month of this year, I did this, and I desire to be uh, whatever. And I, so I told him, I called the cops. No, I didn't call the cops. <laughs> I said, man, I said, there's two. And, and by the way, he was so... Uh, emotional, I thought he had a legitimate speech impediment. He just was very, he was afraid. And he gave me this signed confession, and I read it, and I was stunned. And I said, you know, first of all, uh, I don't think, I said, I'll check. Uh, so I guess no official decision has been made, but I said, I'll check with the advisors. Uh, but uh, I don't think anybody's going to be inclined to prosecute. And even if we were pretty sure the statute of limitations has expired on vandalism. As far as restitution goes, man, again, I can't make this, this decision uh, unilaterally. We were insured. God protected us, and I believe, I'm a big believer in sowing mercy. And I believe when God forgives, he just flat forgives. And this guy just starts weeping. And then we talked for three hours had an amazing, deep, wonderful discussion. And he was eloquent. Once he got past that moment of confession, there was nothing wrong with his speech or anything. He just loves Jesus. So why did he come? And I asked him, I said, first of all, I said, we always had our suspicions of it. It might have been this person, but obviously it was somebody who hated our church. What did you have against us? He goes, nothing. I had nothing against your church. I was drunk and I was high. It was just a stupid thing. It was nothing personal. I said, was it with the other guy? He says, the other guy had nothing to do with this church either. So a couple things I want you to, this was a real life example. This guy heard the voice of God, as many of us do in the stall at McDonald's, <laughs> responded to it immediately, and through the course of his discipleship or his pursuing God, felt like God was telling him. He didn't hear the audible voice of God this time. He just knew it seemed right to come over and get this off his chest. 
And it's a testimony. In many ways, it's beautiful. How does he direct our paths? He can direct your path through my voice. He can direct my path through yours, certainly through the written word, through times of prayer and fasting, through prophecy. There are many ways. There's not a formula here. The main thing is, if you have any hope, any desire to be led by the Spirit, you must be surrendered to the Spirit. Praise and worship team, you can come on up here. I'm wrapping this up. Surrender is a good thing. It's like no retreat, no surrender. Well, we're not going to give up on things where we're being attacked. That's not what I mean. But man, when somebody comes in to take over, uh, this isn't in my notes, so I'm just trying to compose this, this illustration on the fly here. It seems right. Uh, you read, if you're uh, into history at all, especially military history, you find where um, in the heat of battle, I mean, I'm thinking in, in, in my terms, ground combat, where maybe the company commander has been killed, and so a lieutenant has to take over the company. Maybe the platoon leader has been killed, so uh, some E5 sergeant or maybe even a corporal has to take charge of this platoon. And you hope they acquit themselves well. And if you're in that position, you hope you acquit yourself well. But there is nothing more satisfying. There is no bigger relief than having somebody who is more qualified come up and relieve you of command. Now, you can be relieved of command for failure. You, you can be relieved because you, you did not fulfill your duty. But if you are stepping up into a position that you're unsuited for, but you're just doing it because you're a duty, there is not only no shame in it, it is glorious. You know, you got some sergeant who's leading a company and suddenly a commander, a captain shows up and says, I've got it. Finally, this is somebody with the authority. Here's somebody with the experience. Here's somebody with the training. And you feel that lifted off your shoulders. This is God showing up. Let me run this. And our response should be, thank you. I don't want to be in charge of my life. You can do a much, you are much more qualified You've got the authority, you've got the power, you've got all the knowledge. You're in charge. I will do. Now, again, who's driving the car? We are. But where are we going? Everywhere he tells us to go. Just, again, stand up with me. Don't expect to hear. Don't, don't expect to hear those directions if you're not surrendering your time to him, your devotion to him, your study to him, your prayers, everything else. Amen? Uh, let's wrap it up there. But with this, because we're talking again about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we will get into, we were, we we're going to dip our toe into the gifts of the Spirit next week. But we're going to swing back around and talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So if you want to do, if you want to do some study ahead of time, uh, Galatians chapter 5 would be good, and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 would be good. Meanwhile, all of these wonderful promises, these stories of guidance, the, 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 uh, the way God gets a hold of people, how he gets a hold of you to save you. A million different stories. But then once he's got you, he can guide you again through all these different ways. But this is one of the glorious privileges of being a child of God is that we can be led by the Spirit. But you've got to be a child of God. Well, how do I know if I am? You know, because that's a decision you make. That's a decision that everybody can make.
I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe in the principle of election, but my belief in that does not go so far as to think that God only is offering salvation to selected people. He died for who? Jesus died for who? Who did God give his son for? The world, whosoever. If you desire to be in the family of God, if you desire to be saved, born again, it's time for you to surrender to him. Have you ever surrendered your life, surrendered your will to God? And if you haven't, today's your day. I just want to remind you, the only path of surrender is through the cross of Jesus Christ. His shed blood is what makes that surrender possible and makes salvation available to us. In a moment, I'm going to invite you uh, to come forward if you desire to make that decision today. And if you've never made that decision, how do I know if I should make that decision? If you haven't made that decision, you should make that decision. This, thus saith the Lord. This, this is more than it seems right. Today is your day. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have, you have accepted his free gift of salvation. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because it is that indwelling, that infilling that makes the voice of God more clearly heard. It also opens you up to being used by, used by the Holy Spirit to speak into other people's lives prophetically, which is one of the ways he offers guidance, and to also receive uh, that sort of guidance prophetically. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, things that we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and many other things. You cannot be formed into the image of Christ you cannot be everything that he's called you to be without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't have the power to do what he's called you to do without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's your two invitations. I'm going to pray. As soon as I'm done praying, if you desire to be saved, if you desire to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, don't waste a second. Just come up here and let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for guiding us and speaking to us leading us, giving us the seems, seems right, giving us the specific words, the dreams, the visions, the prophecies, everything, Lord. You are a good God. And we know that you desire to lead us. We declare today that we desire to be led. Father, it's my prayer, and I believe it's the prayer of every spiritual believer in this room, that nobody leaves this room. Nobody in the sound of my voice leaves this building. Nobody watching at home shuts off this uh, broadcast without knowing you, as Lord and Savior, and without being filled with your precious Holy Spirit. So, Father, do uh, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and convict those who need to be saved. Cause them to know they need to be saved and grant them the boldness and the courage to make that decision today. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.